And it actually is the culmination. And, and there's a, what I like to think of in my mind is there's a culmination in not just the Feast of the Lord, and we know that there's um, you know, seven Feasts of the Lord, and each one um, increases in its, in its, I don't want to say importance, because Pesach is just as important as Sukkot, but it's the way the Lord ordered the Moedim, the final one is the culmination of all that God has planned for his people. So I see it as a, a, the, a crescendo in the feast, but also in the feast of Sukkot is a crescendo because on the seventh day is Hoshana Rabbah, which is the great Hosanna, and we commemorate that with a water pouring ceremony, which we'll include on next Saturday. Um, but there's, there is something very important that we look forward to, and I'm just going to leave it there. You'll have to come back next week to see what it is that um, is the most important aspect of Sukkot. So um, we're going to look at Leviticus 23, and as I said, it, it's interesting how um, this particular year, I'm sure it's happened before, and we just didn't make note of it, that the first and the eighth days are on Shabbat. So we have a place to go. We don't need to make any arrangements. And, and the most important thing, and we sang it in some of the songs, that this is the season of our rejoicing. It's uh, called Zaman Simchatenu, the season, the time of our rejoicing before the Lord. And so in Leviticus 23, we're going to begin with uh, verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, for seven days to the Lord. On, their fir on the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And again, it, because this feast falls on a Shabbat, we have a double portion of blessings because we have Shabbat and we have the first day of Sukkot, which is also a Shabbat. Okay, and now verse 36. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, and on the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly or a solemn assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. Verse 37 and 38 is just a kind of a reminder, not specifically about Sukkot, but it's a reminder to the children of Israel. These are the feasts of the Lord. And the Lord articulates this at the beginning of Leviticus 23 to remind us these are his feasts. They don't belong to the Jewish people. They belong to all of those who are called by the name of the Lord. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. And that word convocation in the Hebrew is mikra, and it is also translated as rehearsal. And there's a value to us in rehearsing these feasts because of how God manifests and how he reveals himself to his people. And I'm going to talk more about that next week. 
Um, you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything on its day. Every single feast has these particular offerings to the Lord. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, and besides all your vows, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths or Sukkot for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in Sukkot, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Amen. So Lord, we are just so grateful for your ordinances and for your commands, because your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And you demonstrate your faithfulness through your feasts, O God. You demonstrate your love for us. And in your ordinances, we clearly see your plan of salvation, not just for Israel, but for the nations, for all of mankind, for all of humanity. We bless you, Lord, for you are good and your mercies endure forever. Amen. So I, when, when I see these scriptures, I see the most prominent of all of the commands to be, you shall rejoice for seven days. So many of our, the feasts have um, solemn, um, as a solemn um, perspective. When we think of Pesach, it is a solemn perspective because, or it is a solemn feast in the sense that you know, the Israelites were commanded to kill a lamb, to take the lamb's blood, to put it over the doorposts of their homes so that the angel of death would pass over them. And so um, when I think of what we've, the last feast that we just commemorated, which is Yom Kippur, another very solemn feast, a time of fasting, a time of reflecting on our sins and confessing. And then we come uh, five days later to this time of rejoicing and it speaks of a time when we will rejoice forever with the Lord and this is why it's good for us to rehearse because God wants us to practice rejoicing before him and um, in the scriptures in fact I'm going to go and I'm going to read from Nehemiah where I left off earlier today. I left off in verse 8 of chapter 9 of Nehemiah. And the children of Israel made it a practice to recount before the Lord and before each other the goodness of God, all of the ways that God himself took care of them. 
So in verse 9, it says, You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. And so you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you, O Lord, divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai, and you spoke with them from heaven, and you gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And I love the way Nehemiah speaks about God's laws. He calls them just, true, and good. They are a delight for the children of Israel to observe. And we are the people of God. It is a delight for us to observe his ways and his commands. And so I say this on all of our holidays and often on Shabbat, is we don't come together because we have to. We don't worship God because we have to. We come together and worship him because we want to. We love God, and it is our offering by fire to him. And so this is why we delight in, in Shabbat, because God is good and he deserves all our praise and all our worship. And in verse 14, you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst. This is continuing to speak about the journey of Israel through the desert after they were redeemed from Egypt. You told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give, which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly. And this is while they're in the wilderness. They hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. I know that we look at Israel and we think to ourselves, how could Israel rebel against the Lord after they saw how he sovereignly led them out of Egypt, how he sovereignly parted the Red Sea? And they didn't walk through the Red Sea on squishy land or wet sand. The Word of God tells us it was dry ground. And they get to the other side. And while Moses and Joshua were on the mountain, this is what they did. In their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. And we might look at Israel and say, how in the world could they do that? But I say, we are no different. Because time and again, we return to our old ways 
and our old ways are bondage. Bondage to the old way of life when God has redeemed us. And so I think we need to be mindful before we say, oh, look at what Israel did. We are so much better. And we often say we're so much better because we have the blood of the Lamb of God, Yeshua. But I would say that very often we look at the Lamb and we don't remember his blood. And so we act any way we feel like acting. And I'm not even talking about, you know, what we would call the big sins. You know, some religions have like a hierarchy of sins. But if God is not first and foremost in our lives, and if we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, then we don't go any further than that. We don't even have to look at the other sins because we have already fallen short of his glory. We are already like Israel in going back to the old ways of life. And God has redeemed us through the blood of his son. And it's a reminder to us that we are frail. We are fragile. And without his spirit in us, we fail every day unless we call upon the power of his name, the power of his blood, and the promise that the spirit will give us the grace. What does it say? Not by might, not by power, but by his spirit to overcome and have victory in our lives. And then we are reminded of who God is in the second half of verse 17. As Nehemiah recounts before the Lord his goodness, and he remembers how God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34. He declares this, but you are God you are ready to pardon. You are gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger. And you are abundant in kindness. And you did not forsake our forefathers, even though you took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. In verse 18, he says, even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day. Even after they made the golden calf, God was faithful to Israel. Even after they sang and danced before the golden calf, God still led them by a pillar of fire by night and by a cloud by day. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. And remember, he said to Moses, I'm going to destroy all of Israel and I'll leave you standing and I'll make for myself another people. Moses interceded. God heard Moses' prayer. 
and he relented of the disaster that he was going to bring upon the people for their waywardness. And instead, he received Moses' prayer on behalf of the people. And he allowed Israel to live. He did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. You gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And so when we look at this Feast of Sukkot, this is part of what we commemorate, what we remember, is God's provision in the wilderness. This is why we construct our Sukkot, our sukkah, in our backyard, on our deck, wherever. And we construct it so that we can see the stars of the heavens. We construct it so that we can remember that just as God provided for Israel, he provides for us. And Israel's journey for 40 years in the wilderness is simply a picture of our lives. As long as we are on this earth, we are journeying in a wilderness. God is our pillar of fire by night and our cloud of presence by day. His promises are to us the same as they were to Israel. But as I said on Monday, and, and probably on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, God is so faithful, he is so merciful, and he gives us a picture of his grace and his mercy, which is what we celebrate during Sukkot. And I like that God is a visual God. So he has us construct certain things to jog our memory. Our faith is a faith of remembrance. And so we have our sukkah to remind us of God's faithfulness. And in our little sukkot, on our decks or our backyards, we are reminded that we are not citizens of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we are just passing through this life. But we are not alone. Just as the children of Israel were not alone in their wilderness, we are not alone in our wilderness. God is with us. And he promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. And that's the whole point of the sukkah. We sit in our sukkahs. We might have our meals. And if you're a brave soul, you might sleep in your sukkah. But the point is it's a picture of God's faithfulness. He, is, he was faithful to Abraham. He is faithful to us. He was faithful to David. He is faithful to us. And we can stand on his word because he is a faithful God. And that is all what the feasts are about, is remembering God's faithfulness and remembering his goodness. And I, I, I want to share... I want to share one of the recorded 
celebrations of Sukkot in Scripture. And it's from 2 Chronicles 7. So if you would turn over there. Actually, I'm not just going to read from verse 7. I mean, chapter 7. I'm going to read in verse 5. Solomon had finished constructing the temple and putting all of the elements that God commanded to be placed in the temple. They were all in place. And this is 2 Chronicles 5. And in verse 3, it says, Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. This is the feast of Sukkot. This is the feast of tabernacles. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel, all the congregation of Israel, the men, the women, the children, who were assembled with him before the ark, were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside, and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. And it came to pass, when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. In other words, all of the priests of Israel were there on this day to worship and celebrate and be joyful before the Lord. And the Levites, who were the singers, all of those of Asaph and Haman and Jeduthun with their sons and their brethren stood at the east end of the altar clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, when they were worshiping God, with one heart and with one voice to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with the cloud so that the priests could not continuing, continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. I am always struck by these scriptures because it is a promise to us that when we join 
our hearts and our voices in one accord that God promises to visit us. But he promises not just for a visit, but to make his habitation with us, to make his presence with us, that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And as the children of Israel saw this cloud and saw the priests falling on their faces before the Lord because of the glory that filled the house, Solomon said these words. He said, blessed, well, I'm going to start in chapter 6, verse 3. Let me start in verse 1. Then Solomon spoke, the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. And then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father David, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe in Israel, of Israel, of Israel in which to build my house, that my name might be there. Nor did I choose any man to be a ruler over my people Israel. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there. And I have chosen David to build, to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son, who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke. And we can stand on those words today, that the Lord is fulfilling all all of his words that he has spoken to us, to our forefathers, and to our children and our children's children, because God is faithful, and he will fulfill his word. Then Solomon goes on to pray this incredibly beautiful prayer to the Lord, and I would encourage you that each day over these next seven days that you read portions of his prayer as if it is your prayer to the Lord. Not these are the words of Solomon, but these are my words to you, Lord, as I come before you in loving obedience to your word that says that I am to rejoice for seven days before you. And I rejoice in your word for seven days. And so we recount the words of Solomon as he sings to the Lord these beautiful scriptures. And then he says in verse 40 of chapter 6, Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. 
Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. And when Solomon concluded this prayer to the Lord, this is what happened in verse 7. It's recorded in verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying, this time fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I was pondering the fire of the Lord coming down and consuming those offerings. And I think about ourselves, not just in this place, but wherever we worship God, that the fire of God's glory would fall on our hearts and burn away all that is not of him. Because we long to be a holy people before him because his word says, be holy as I am holy. And this is our heart's desire to be holy as God is holy. And we desire for his fire to consume all that is not of him in our lives. And I long for the day when we would see his glory cloud in this place. Not a figment of our imagination, but the real glory cloud of the Lord, where just as the priest fell on their faces and all of the children of Israel fell on their faces before the Lord. They could not move because of his presence in that place. I believe that when we truly understand and experience that presence of God, that we will be a changed people. And we will no longer stand for the things that we did last week. We won't stand for the things that we did yesterday. Because we would have that vision of the holiness of God between his fire coming and consuming all that is not of him in our hearts and that glory cloud in our midst. That it won't be just here that we can be a holy people, but it will be outside these doors that we could be a holy people. Because there are people outside of these doors that are looking for the real thing. The real thing. The real reflection of Yeshua. And I am reminded in our world today, as we see how the body of Messiah behaves in this world. And it's no wonder that we do not provoke the world to jealousy because we are a vindictive people. We are people who fail to show one another grace. We are a people who fail to show the world the grace of God. 
in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes. And every day, God is merciful to us, and he gives us another opportunity. I'd like to say to do it right, to do it better, to do it better, because we all know that deep within ourselves, if we are willing to lay down ourselves, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, like the scriptures say, we would be a different people, and we would be a light to those who are lost in darkness. But we have to choose to be that kind of a person. It's a choice that we have every day. And we often choose incorrectly because we feel like we have rights. And after all, I'm a pretty patient person. And after all, don't I deserve X, Y, and Z? But God says otherwise. His son went to the cross for us. We did this whole series on the tyranny of self during the month of Elul and for part of, well, maybe we didn't really do it for Yom Kippur. I know for my quiet time, I just thought of how I have this tyrant within me that just wants what it wants when it wants it and feels like I have rights after all but Yeshua laid down his rights and he's our example and every day the Lord gives us the opportunity to have his fire come down in our lives and burn away that which is not of him it might sound like the same old message but I think we need the same message because we're not always a changed people. And how can we tell? Because the world outside looks the same as it did yesterday and last week. But if we all, and I don't mean just us here, the body of Messiah are willing to lay down our lives just as Yeshua did, we could be a changed people. And we could fill these seats, not with people from other congregations, kind of what I always call like congregational musical chairs. We love having visitors. I'm not talking about visitors. I'm talking about people who leave congregations and then they stay someplace for a season, then they leave and they go another place for a season. But let's fill these seats with people who do not know the Lord yet so that they can grow in their love for God, grow in their love for who he is and what he has done and grow in our love for one another because this is what God has commanded us. This is our first mission, if you want to call it that, to be a changed people and to bring the lost in so that they too would know the God of life, the God of light, and the God of truth because he is a good God and often we don't present him that way in our attitudes and our actions and our words. But let's purpose as we rejoice before the Lord for seven days, 
Let's purpose to be a changed people, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God alone. And so, Lord, we thank you for Zaman Simchatenu, this time of our rejoicing. And I pray, Lord, as your word says, that you would inhabit the praises of your people, Israel. Because as you make your habitation with us, Lord, we can't help but be a changed people, a changed individual, desiring, O Lord, to praise you with our very lives, to be a people who praise you with our attitude, praise you with our words, praise you with our actions, praise you with our choices, because you are good. You are a good God, and your mercies endure forever. Thank you for your mercies, Lord. We bless you, and we honor your name. We lift your name, O oh God. We exalt your holy name, for you are worthy. You are worthy, O oh God. And all God's people said, amen and amen.